As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod, the Athletics Big 12 football podcast. I'm Jason Kersey. My normal co-host, Max Olson, is unavailable today, but I am so excited to welcome my buddy Ari Wasserman, National College Football Writer for The Athletic to the show. Ari, welcome to One True Pod. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, there's no way I can fill Max Olson's shoes, but I'll try to be like 75% as good. 75% of Max. I, I That's acceptable. That's an acceptable level of Max. And that's shooting high. So. <laughs> well, Ari, uh, you perhaps more than any non-coach in the United States of America understand and appreciate the importance of recruiting uh, in ultimate college football success. So I thought you'd be a perfect guest today. I mean, stars matter is literally in your Twitter bio, I, I noticed. So um, I thought you'd be a perfect guest for today's topic that I wanted to cover, which is national championships. The Big 12 has not won one in 15 seasons since 2005. Um, and only two since 2000. Uh, I think we can all probably figure out that recruiting has a big, big part to do with that, but it's probably not, not the whole story, but, um, you know, just generally speaking, you're a guy who comes from, you know, you, you from Arizona, you covered Ohio state for a long time. Now you're looking at it from a national perspective. What is the national perspective of the big 12 right now? Honestly, the national perception of the big 12 is that they don't play defense. And like, I don't know if that is reality anymore because the game has shifted so much and the over under of the national title game was 75 and everybody just scores a ton and I don't know if defense is just a thing of the past in the sport which is kind of a weird thing to say uh because like you know as we previewed the Ohio State Alabama game you know I was thinking that if Ohio State holds Alabama to 40 they might have a chance to win like that was the analysis going into it and it's just like seven years ago if you're hoping that you can uh, hold the opposing team to 40 points that, you know, you're hoping you're not blown out. So, you know, I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know if it's style of play. I have a theory about it and I was hoping to get into it with you in this podcast, but I guess we can just go right into it. Yeah, let's do it. The state of Texas. And I'm going to try to write a story about this eventually. It's going to take a lot of reporting and a lot of discussion, I think with high school coaches, but the state of Texas, I think we all can agree is the breeding ground or the, or the source for the majority of the talent in the conference. Um, most of the teams in the conference are either located in Texas or, or shortly um, around 
Texas, unless you're West Virginia, who don't belong in the conference at all. But <laughs> I think that the majority of the players in high school football in Texas, the most talented ones, at least at the skill position players, are moved to the offensive side of the ball because that's the style of play that is Texas high school football. And I wonder, you know, the Alabamas of the world, the Ohio States, and, you know, all the Clemsons and the big-time programs that are competing for national championships, along with Oklahoma to a certain extent, are in Texas some. But they're not – their entire rosters aren't built from Texas players. And I'm wondering, do you think there's just a lack of true elite – elite skill position talent on the defensive side of the ball in the high school ranks, which translates into who's good and who's bad um, in college. Cause it's like five-star cornerbacks exist in, in Texas. But for the most part, I think if you're a five-star cor- corner, you're a really good receiver too at the high school level. And I, I just, I think that that's kind of like a microcosm of what's going on in the bigger picture. That's really interesting. I, I, I guess I hadn't thought about it quite like that, but, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, Texas football, Texas high school football is sort of where the seven on seven phenomenon, I, I guess is really, I don't know if that's where it came from. I don't know the, all the history of it, but I know it's huge there. Um, you know, uh, and so that, that totally makes sense. You have a lot of guys who probably want to play on offense. They grow up around this sort of style of football. It's interesting too, that you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the way that nobody seems to play defense, the national title game had that huge, um, that huge over under the big 12 was sort of ahead of the curve on all that. <laughs> uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, it was Nick Saban saying, do we really want football to be this way? Um, and it turns out that we do and, and he's adapted to it. So, uh, that, that's a really, but, but you, you raise a really interesting point here because I'm trying to think of the, uh, elite defensive backs that that Oklahoma, for example, has pulled out of Texas recently, and I don't think the list is that long. It's just yeah. not. And even the ones that they got, I'm thinking PJ and Banasor. Do you remember that name? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking Robert Barnes, who just tra- who lost his starting job and then transferred. He was a really uh, highly touted kid, um, and everybody now is excited about OU signing Latrell McCutcheon. Um, but you know, I guess we'll have to see what happens when he actually gets to camp. And I'm not saying they don't exist. It's just a matter of if the the majority of the players that you're signing are offensive style players. I mean, if you go and you look at uh, four of the top five signees in Oklahoma's class, off the top of my head, they're all offensive guys. I'm assuming Billy Bauman's going to play offense. I, I don't know where he projects at the next level. Um, but you know, the, the thing is, is that. I think in college football in general, in order to win a national championship, you have to have an offense that can score at least 38 on anybody. And there are a few programs in the Big 12, and you know one very well, that is able to do that. Um, But you also have to get stops. And if the national championship game taught us anything, it was that Ohio State was physically, emotionally, and spiritually impossible. incapable of stopping Alabama. And if you can't get a few stops or or do something to turn the tide, then you don't have a chance in any game. So I think you have to be able to exist on the offensive side of the ball in a shootout, but I also think that you have to have a defense that's not just like 38 points, and that's good. And I just was wondering, what is your perception of the way that they play defense in the Big 12? And then I've got yeah. another as an outsider question too is, you know, from even a gambling standpoint, all these games in the Big 12 are so close. The spreads are close. The best team and the worst team might be a six-point spread. I think the parity in general, and I don't know if part of this is because of the style of play, seems to be 
much greater in that conference than in any other conference. When Alabama plays Vanderbilt, there's no there's no doubt about it. You know, when Oklahoma plays, I guess the lower ranked teams in in the league, maybe if they're playing the Kansases of the world, that's a that's a fair comparison. But once you start getting into even teams like Kansas State and Texas Tech and West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and like even like Baylor, they're, they're, none of these games are super easy. So I just feel mm-hmm. like the, the talent is more spread out. And, and I think part of the reason why is, um, from a recruiting standpoint, Jason, seven of the top most of, of the 15 most talented teams in college football in 2020 were in the SEC. So like when right. you start right. talking about bare bones talent and, and, you know, as we get into this discussion about whether or not the Big 12 can actually compete for a national championship, you have to have a certain baseline of talent in order to compete at the highest level. And even if you look, Iowa State, a team that pushed Oklahoma to the brink of potentially winning the conference, ranks 57th overall in the country in talent. Zero five-star prospects and four four-star prospects. Alabama had 60. It's not yeah. even close. It's like a different right. level of football. So, right. you know, part of it too, I think, is that the Big 12 is more closely together Texas and Oklahoma are in a league of their own and then the rest of the conference is kind of trying to catch up from a talent standpoint but even when you compare Texas and Oklahoma to Alabama they're still a full step or step and a half behind so mm-hmm. you know I think from a recruiting mm-hmm. ranking standpoint there's still something you know to be desired it's like Oklahoma just had a great class they had four or five five-star prospects towards the end there that they missed out on that would have really elevated it to an elite level class and granted it was a smaller class but number nine in the recruiting rankings isn't a good enough class to win a national title anymore. It's just not. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's a great point. And I did want to get into that with you. Coming back to the defense thing for a minute, um and and I'm around it a lot, so so I know that my percept my perception is a little bit different, but Alex Grinch has done a remarkable job at Oklahoma. I mean, they they are playing much better defense than they played two years ago. So the so I do think that the it's gonna maybe take some time for the national perception to catch up to the fact that the Big Twelve is playing better defense than it was before. Um but but on the flip side of that, uh, the offenses haven't been as good. I mean, uh, we're not in the era anymore where you have Will Greer, Kyler Murray. I go back to like 2008 when you had Sam Bradford, Colt McCoy, and Graham Harrell all in the same uh, same league, um, putting up huge numbers. And those the, Oklahoma still gets great quarterback play, and Brock Purdy was pretty good this year. Sam Ellinger was a really solid college quarterback, but it's not like there's those elite quarterbacks anymore. So you wonder if that makes a difference, and that's making the defense in the Big 12 look better. Um, so I, I don't really know. Do 
I mean, and, and even last year, Oklahoma's defense was better than it had been under Mike Stoops. And we saw what happened in the Peach Bowl when they got, came up against LSU. So they've got to improve the talent on the defensive side. But, um, but when you, and then when you talk about recruiting rankings, that I really did want to get into that with you. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I you know, the only programs that have really gotten right up to the edge of winning a national title in the Big 12 in the last 20 years have been Oklahoma and Texas. And neither of them have been uh, in a while, haven't played in a national title game in a long time. Um, but you know, you look at Oklahoma State, for example, in 2011, and I'm on a Big 12 podcast, so I can say this. Maybe this makes me a homer. I still think Oklahoma State got completely screwed in 2011 when Alabama and LSU had the rematch in the national title game. I believe firmly Oklahoma State could have and maybe even would have won that game against LSU that year because of how good their offense was. But the point is they got to number three in the country and still couldn't sign a top 25 recruiting class. Iowa State just won the Fiesta Bowl had their best season ever and they're ranked 52nd right now nationally. So it's like, can the TCU and Baylor were right on the edge of getting into the playoff in 2014. They haven't been able to get above around 25, 26 in the recruiting rankings. Like, is it even possible for teams like that to rise up? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest uh, challenge maybe for any coach in college football is going from 12th best team in the country to another second best. You know, because the top four or five teams in America are recruiting at such a remarkable level, there isn't even enough room for anybody else to do it. I mean, here's a stat for you. I don't know if you saw this. I added this up right after the early signing period. I think the number, uh, and we're still waiting for some results in the in the recruiting world for the typical signing day, but for, 53% of the top 100 players, so 53 of those players, signed with five programs. Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, LSU and uh, Georgia and everybody else is like going for the other 47. And it's just like, if you're in a situation where half of the most elite players in the country are going to five schools, there's a reason why the playoff field is the same every year. Now, every power five conference, if you have an undefeated champ for the most part for hundred percent, will get into the playoff if they conquer their conference. So Oklahoma has been the perfect example of that. They've made it four times, right? Um, the Pac-12 hasn't had a, a good enough um, candidate since Washington went a few years ago, but you can get to the playoff. But then when you get there, you're facing a team that has 17 or 20 potential first round draft picks over the course of the next 20 years on its roster. And it's just like, no matter what you did in your, in your regular season, it's going to be exposed because you're playing. I mean, they played against Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, and Justin Jefferson. Like, what, what did the people think was going to happen? And it's like, if your defense is shaky in any way, those are pros. Those are really good players in the NFL right now. So, you know, I, I think that there's a certain gap between five and six and like 13 through 30. Now, oh, Iowa State's um, is a perfect example, I think, of honing in on this because they are ranked, like I said, 57th overall nationally. And that is crazy low. Like you're behind teams like Northwestern, Minnesota, Cal, West Virginia, Iowa, Baylor, Duke, Indiana, Vanderbilt, Oregon State. Iowa State almost won the Big 12 with that roster. So I think that the easiest thing to do, Jason, in, in recruiting, I think, is analyzing the top 100 players because everybody with eyes know who the top 100 guys are. If you're truly special, if you're an NFL prospect, you can see that from the second they step on a, a field their junior or senior year of high school. Um, but I think talent evaluation and being an elite talent evaluator 
um, really comes into play when you start talking about prospects between 500 and 1,000. Now, those are guys that don't have a ton of offers from the Georgias and Alabamas of the world, but they're also can be some sneaky good players on those on those teams or in those ranks that end up on teams like Iowa State. And if you're a very good talent evaluator, the real gift is can you get the best version of a starting player at every position in those ranks between 500 and 1,000? And Iowa State, despite being the 57th most talented team in college football this past year, was far from the 57th best team. So their recruiting staff is incredible. And, you know, that's a really, really nice compliment. And what they accomplished on the field best season ever is a testament to what they did from a talent evaluation standpoint. But as we continue to go down the road of this conversation, the conversation isn't how can Iowa State or Indiana, who had a great year, or Mizzou or Texas Tech or Northwestern, who also made it to the Big Ten championship game. It's not how these teams can win or compete to, to win their conference. It's whether or not they can beat Alabama. You know, And when you start talking about that, that's a completely different discussion than can these teams have a solid roster that can compete at the highest level. And like I think if you asked um, Iowa State's recruiting staff, hey, how do we match up with Alabama, they, they're real about it. They know. I mean, you, everybody watched the national championship game. Ohio State was the second most talented team in college football this year, and they got their doors blown off. So, like, you have to be a certain level of special to win a national championship in this in this current state of, of recruiting. And honestly, part of it is cool that – the recruiting realm can help great coaches and, and visionary programs continue on and, and create dynasties the way that Alabama has. But the, the re- prevailing question that I get all the time is, if you're not fortunate enough to be a fan of one of those five or six teams, it's not really as fun as it is for everybody else because you know going into it that no matter what you team does, if you're a Minnesota fan, a Colorado fan, an Illinois fan, a Utah fan, it goes on and on and on you have a 0% chance of winning a national championship. And I don't know what the I don't know what the um the solution to that problem is. Is it reducing scholarships and creating, you know, seven or eight less spots on every roster to get the talent spread around? Does NIL change all this stuff? Is it about slowly building because Clemson wasn't what we know Clemson to be as 12 years ago? And if so, Dabo might just be one of the best coaches who ever coached the sport. Um, but building a actual program that can compete for a national championship is such a catch-22 because you have to kind of change who you are as a program, and a lot of these programs can't from an academic standpoint. But two, here's the, the, the last piece, Jason, and the reason why like Oklahoma and Texas have a chance to break through, more so than anybody in the Big 12. The teams that produce the most talent for NFL draft boards are the teams that get the most talent coming out of high school because I don't care what anybody says, the the Rudy-type feeling of I love Notre Dame or I love my university more than I love my family or I would die for this program or all the things that fans like to think is true. The reality is the only thing that these kids care about is getting to the league. And they would get to the league before winning a national championship. They would get to the league before staying loyal to any program. They would transfer the second that they knew that they'd be in a better spot, and rightfully so. But it's a weird chicken and the egg scenario because when you have programs who are getting the best players out of high school, turning those best players into NFL draft picks more, it perpetuates what people think about that program. And I'm not saying that Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and those teams aren't superior at producing NFL talent, but they also have the easiest path to do it because they have the best players coming out of high school. So it kind of like, how do you break that pattern? And it's like a really long, hard uh, process. And if you want to build something, it's not something that takes two years or three. It might take 15. 
And a lot of coaches at the lower tier programs that are on track to doing that get hired elsewhere. And it's just kind of like this whole circle of how do you break through it? How do you break through it? And the unfortunate reality in the current landscape of the sport is that a lot of these programs just are what they are. And it's just never going to yeah. change. And Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you, you talk about the Big 12 getting to the playoff. I mean, OU's been to the playoff four times, and the only one that was really all that competitive by the end of the game was the Georgia uh, Rose Bowl a few years ago. And other than that, I mean, you know, the, the Clemson, they were beating Clemson at halftime of the 2015 Orange Bowl, but that ended up not being very close. Um, they got, they got blown. They were down 28, nothing in the first quarter against Alabama in the Orange Bowl a few years ago. And then we saw what happened against LSU last year. So there's there, you're exactly right that, that winning the big 12 is a great accomplishment and they should be very proud of that, that they continue to do it. But it's got to, I mean, at a certain point, you've got to be able to translate that to the next step. And, and they just haven't been able to do that. And I, 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 I don't really know. Um, and, 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 and then when you, you, you mentioned it earlier, all these games end up being close. I mean, OU has such more talent, you would think, than all these other schools. And yet these, these games, a lot of them are really close. I mean, Baylor has, you know, Baylor almost beat OU twice last year uh, with, with a much less talented roster. Um, Iowa State beat them. Kansas State beat them, has beaten them two years in a row with a much less talented roster. So I, I guess my next question to you is you look at the SEC, and I know nobody on a Big 12 podcast probably wants to hear us talk about the SEC, but, but I mean, it's important. Geez, it's South, important. But, but South Carolina, Vanderbilt, like you said, uh, some of these lower tier SEC teams are still recruiting so much better than the higher, t- than the maybe middle of the road Big 12 teams. Does that make a difference? Yeah, I think. Like in, in terms. Yeah, having yeah, covered ahead. a Big 10 team for 10 years, and, you know, I covered the behemoth of the Big 10, but there is a certain feeling from the rest of the fan bases in the world that the SEC has got this major bias going against them or, or going for them. And ESPN loves the SEC, and the SEC gets the benefit of the doubt. And it's just like the bad versions of the teams are much better than the bad versions of every other team. Like Tennessee, for instance, signed the number 10 class in the country in 2020 or 2019, excuse me. One of those two, it doesn't matter. They were the seventh best team in their own conference in recruiting ranking results. And the number 10 class in America, like beating the SEC, and there's no team that has a harder path in it than a team like Tennessee or a team like Auburn or these middle-tier programs in the SEC that are trying to, to to capture it because they have much better players on even the lower-tier rosters. Um, and the thing about it, too, is that there's five Power Five conferences and only two conferences, and, and I guess you could make the case for Oklahoma, but only two conferences don't have that can't-miss-no-doubt-about-it juggernaut from an NFL talent standpoint. Big Ten has Ohio State. The ACC has Clemson, and the SEC has Alabama and Georgia. So when you're talking about why does it always work out this way in the playoff, it's because the situation of where these teams are located and and where they're situated um, has a major factor in this. And, like, listen, Oklahoma was in overtime, if I recall correctly, in in that Georgia game in 2017, or the 2018 technically. And then Georgia took Alabama to overtime in the next game like there was a world where 
Oklahoma could win a national championship. Like, I don't think that when you when you start a season off as an Oklahoma fan or even a Texas fan, you say to yourself, well, there's no way that we can win a national championship this year. That's not the message that you are when, when you're one of those two teams. The problem is, is when you are a fan of Texas Tech or a fan of Baylor. It's like, and Baylor even got close, but for a lot of times, these teams, Kansas, maybe Kansas State, they have a 0% chance of winning it. And Iowa State has a 0% chance of winning it, and they almost won the conference. And the the main factor for this is based on the fundamental level of talent on these rosters. And like you mentioned that there are certain teams on uh, that have given Oklahoma a hard time in some of these games, but the gap between the the 30th most talented team and the number nine most talented team isn't nearly as big. And I don't think people realize this as the talent gap between number six and number one. It's like you have one, two, three, and four. And then once you get to five, it's like a different sport. And then once you get down to 10, it's even a different sport. And then between 10 and 30 is a hodgepodge of who can evaluate, um, develop, and game plan the best with the talent that they have. But there's certain teams, Oklahoma, is maybe on the cusp of it, but that can autopilot and win 10 games without even thinking about it because they can just win and and out-talent their opponent. And that's like a really hard world to live in. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you talk about like how top-heavy college football is, though, I I went back and looked, and and I think this is really interesting. Between 1990 and 2009, no team won more than three national titles in that time span. Nebraska won three, Florida won three, USC, LSU won two each. You had, you know, Alabama won two in that time frame, but they were way spread out. But since 2010, I mean, Alabama's won five. Um, so has there been a, and, and I know it's hard to go back historically with recruiting rankings because 24-7 does, and rivals don't go back that far, but has there been a fundamental change in that? Like where, where was the top talent, do you think, more evenly distributed yes. in the 90s? Yes. Like, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And as recruiting rankings have become more of an exact science, the more we've been able to track it. With social media, these kids are able to stay in touch. I mean, you saw it up close and personal. You went to the Sooner Summit, didn't you? That stuff yeah. didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, I did. That didn't happen in 1993. These guys have constant access to each other from their phones all day. They plan these trips. They go together even at a time where visits aren't permitted because they want to be with each other and they want to enjoy it. And here's the biggest thing that people don't realize too. These camps, these openings, these Under Armour camps, these camps where the most elite level prospects go and compete against each other, these guys meet each other there. They become friends. They want to play together. They want to go places. And the teams that are recruiting these kids, it's like a, it's like a, the cool kids table at high school. And it's like the Alabama, the Clemson, the Georgia, the Ohio State. It's like those are the cool programs that these kids want to play at right now. So as they talk to each other and as they consume social media, and these programs have invested millions of dollars in recruiting departments that have full-time graphics guys and full-time talent evaluators and full-time visit schedulers and game planner who decides which airplane an assistant is. I mean, it's a 10, 12 person staff of scouting that would resemble what you see in an NFL organization now. And the gap even between 
the top team in the, in the conference and the last team in the conference is so it's like outer space. It's like outer space. You can't even tell uh, where it ends and where it begins. And then in between like the, the third and fourth, it's huge. And like the number one question that I get asked and the one that I can't answer is how do you stop it? How do you change it? How do you become the next thing? Like Tennessee fans right now, how does Tennessee get over this to become a national championship contender again? And how does Nebraska do it? And you have a lot of fans who were not that old, or it wasn't that long ago, the last time their team was winning a national championship. And now it's like, you tell a Nebraska fan right now, it's a 0% chance that your team can win a national championship. It's like a foreign language to them because they grew up in a situation where they won three in 10 years. Yeah. It's just completely different sport than it used to yeah. be. And I think there needs to be some sort of of way that they can spread the talent around. And I like the idea of scholarship reductions, but then you realize that that's eight less scholarships for players and you're taking away opportunities from high school kids. And I'm not okay with that. So like there's like give and take with everything and trying to figure out like what has to be done Um is, is kind of tough. And it's like, that's not an Oklahoma problem. I think Oklahoma can go from nine to number four. They almost did it this year. If things would have gone a little bit differently at the end, there was some of those guys that they were in on, like the Emeka Bukas of the world who visited late. You know, they might have actually gotten into that realm and they've competed in the recent past. Oklahoma was every bit as good enough to win a national championship as anybody else in 2017. They got to the point, they forced it over time. It's just sometimes those teams don't win. Um, but like, what could Baylor do? to be a consistent national championship contender? I think the answer is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so funny. I was actually, when I was doing some prep for, for our conversation here, I went back, I found, I, I interviewed Barry Switzer like eight or nine years ago um, uh, about scholarship limits. And, and it's crazy to think about how it used to be. So uh, before, so back, it is, yeah. back in like the early seventies, late sixties, the big eight allowed schools to have 45 scholarships per year and they could bank them for the next year. They could, you know, they could sort of had some flexibility uh, on either side of that. Um, so back then Barry Switzer could, I mean, he literally said, I think I have, they had over 200 kids dressed out and had eight or nine teams of depth. Like, so they reduced it and they kept reducing it through the years. And, and maybe that is the only way that we can fix this is, is to reduce the scholarships. But then you, you have situations like, um, I don't know, a Josh Jacobs, for example, kid out of Tulsa who nobody knew about really until very late. He ends up, Alabama kind of takes a flyer on him at the end. He becomes a first round draft pick. So maybe those sorts of things don't happen as much. I don't know. Uh, but it is sort of funny to think about how it used to be. It used to just be the Wild West and it's much more restricted now and it's still a problem. Yeah, yeah. And the thing too that people like to think is, and I'm happy that you brought up Josh Jacobs because I think there's like this sort of viewpoint that Alabama's a football factory and all they do is get the best players and they win with the best players and it's on autopilot. And it's like the only way that my team can beat Alabama is if we evaluate talent better and we find all the diamonds in the rough. The thing that people don't realize is that those teams also find diamonds in the rough. Like there's many three-star prospects that go to Clemson, maybe more so than any program in America and turn into uh, Isaiah Simmons. Like there's, they're not- Hunter Ripfro. Like, yeah. Yeah. Finding these guys who just turn out to be badass first round picks happen at the big places too. And like, you know, when you start talking about scholarship reductions, like having covered Ohio State, Ohio State threw a three uh, three star uh, linebacker uh, offer at camp or a three star quarterback an offer at camp uh, 
one year, and that quarterback, they moved to linebacker. Well, that player turned out to be Darren Lee and was a first-round draft pick <laughs> and was the instrumental piece of Ohio State's national championship run. Like, these guys have bigger, better, more deeper scouting departments than your program does. So it's like not only are they getting the best players, but they're more equipped to find the diamonds in the rough that you're talking about. So it's like no matter which way you look at it, it's like the big dogs are winning. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, listen, Brock Purdy should be playing in the Pac-12. And look look what happened. You know, there's some very, very good um, talent in the Big 12 that were discovered based on elite-level scouting from recruiting staffers on these on these. Uh, programs uh, staffs but how do you compete with the team that is going to have five first round picks this year I just don't think you do yeah and it's just a really tough thing and it's like even with NIL Jason people think that NIL is going to change the world and I don't know like how much money do they think Trevor Lawrence might be worth in the NIL like the most famous uh player in college might be worth 200,000 bucks or something I, I read and um you know, for the most part, these kids are going to make money off of posting uh, protein shakes on their Instagram accounts. Mm-hmm. So they might make a few extra five, six, seven thousand dollars a year, which is a lot of money. I would take six grand right now in college. Six thousand bucks might have been a, a, a king's ransom to me. But when you start comparing it to the long term play of how much you get paid with an NFL contract and how much money is at stake by being a first round draft pick the amount of money that these guys are going to make with NIL is so inconsequential in comparison to the bigger picture that it's not going to be like, oh my God, Alabama just signed the 13th best class because they're in Tuscaloosa. That's not the way it's going to work. Alabama is still going to sign the number one class in America because everybody is focused on the long game. And yes, you know, Notre Dame might pick up a quarterback because being the face of Notre Dame football is a very good thing for advertisements. Or maybe USC will be able to use Hollywood to keep kids home or, you know, whatever. But football factories greatest value and the reason why they sign the best players is because they're NFL factories and the paycheck that comes with being a first round draft. If you take 5,000 bucks, whether it comes in a McDonald's bag or it comes in the form of NIL, you are so short sighted that you probably don't have what it takes to make it in the league anyway. Yeah. Cause 5,000 bucks isn't going to change anybody's life long term. You know, it might help you for six months or whatever, but it's not going to change your life. You know what changes your life long term? The generational wealth that you get from being a first round draft pick and the places that make you first round draft picks the most. That's all they have to say. Yeah. That's all that matters to these kids. I swear it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. And and I don't really know how we get to the to next step. But I, I, I really I'm glad you came on today, Ari, because this is this is a thing I think that frustrates people in the you know, uh, fans of teams all around the Big 12, and maybe most especially the team that I cover full time, but but also Texas. I mean, they 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 feel like they should be competing for national titles, and they're just not right now. And uh, I think your and Texas has a big gripe, Jason, because I don't mean to I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. Texas had the fifth most talented roster in college football this year. Well, yeah, and like the reason why the reason why Texas is such a frustrating thing to follow for their fans is because the hard part is done. The hard part is getting players to come to your school. That's 85% of the job of a head coach is to accumulate talent at that level and to assemble a roster that can be in a position 
to be in the top five. And then when you're in the top five, you're competitive with anybody in the country if you develop and scheme and, you know, do everything in the right way uh, in order to do that. And development problem has been a piece, uh, the issue that Tom Herman had and the reason why he's not at Texas anymore. But Texas's roster, they're the most uh, set-up team in America. This state, Texas, is loaded with... 40 or 50 top 150 kids. It's nuts. It's like a third of the best players in the country are in this state. Texas has a direct line to at least 35% of them. And if they get 35% of their own kids, they're good. So the fact that they haven't been able to make the playoff during the Tom Her- Tom Herman era, I think is probably one of the most underachieving programs in America when you, and, and it's two conversations. And I was having this discussion with my colleague, Bill Landis, who covers Ohio State. I think you could make the case that Ohio State is one of the most underachieving programs in America when you start talking about what they have on their roster versus results on the field. Now, there's a lot of underachieving rosters in the country or underachieving programs in the country because they are bad at getting the talent. But once you get the talent in the door, that's phase two. And Texas has been very bad at that. Oklahoma has been great at that. And if Texas can turn phase two into a profitable thing where they're developing guys, these guys are getting paid because they're going to the league, they use Austin, Texas as an NIL. I mean, there's something there that can be great. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason why their coach is different is because phase two was missing. Phase one is the most important thing because if you don't have the talent, you don't even you're you're not even on the dance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You don't even get into the doors. But once you're in the doors, Texas and Oklahoma are in the door. Now they have to finish the job, but going from number nine or number five to number one is every bit as a, uh, as big of a jump. And I don't think people realize this as going from number 40 to number 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, Ari, that, that is great. Thank you so much for doing this, man. It's always good to talk to you. Um, you have such a unique perspective on college football because of uh, your expertise in recruiting. And uh, that's something that uh, I probably should do a better job of, of learning more about. So I'm uh, always happy to talk to you, my man. Yeah, you come down to Dallas, we'll hit Campeses together. How about that? Yeah, right. You're never going to let me go to Campeses if I'm with you. I'd go for you. I'd go for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for uh, filling in. We'll have to do this again. Yeah, anytime. Please subscribe to our show, One True Pod, on Apple or Spotify. Leave us a review and a good rating and find our stories on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic yet, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod. You don't just get the best college football coverage, you get all of our sports coverage. So be sure to take advantage of that and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening.